0: This is Steve Robbins. Welcome to the Get It Done Guys, quick and dirty tips to work less and do more. I'm here today with Dan Shawbel, author of Back to Human, How Great Leaders Create Connection in the Age of Isolation. Thank you for joining us, Dan.
1: So happy to be here, Stever.
0: So question, why connectedness and isolation? Where did these themes come from and how do they relate to being human?
1: We all overuse and misuse technology. This is the first book that resonates with everyone I know, including my parents who describe it to their friends because everyone's overusing it. You know, we tap our devices over 2,600 times a day. We look at our phones every 12 minutes. We send an average of five texts within meetings. So we're, we're just so addicted to receiving alerts and responding to alerts and You know, it releases dopamine in our brain when that happens, which pleases our reward system. We want more and more like a drug. And so the more we're using technology, the more it's confining and isolating us, which makes us more lonely and hurts our health and productivity. And so because we are spending so much time using technology, it's it's almost convinced us that we have so many friends like Facebook friends, like that we're getting so much done and being so productive. Yet it can be very distracting and isolating. And for someone who has an average of 150 Facebook friends, they can only rely on four at a time of an emotional crisis. So if you're in the hospital, you know how many people are actually going to call you or visit you? And it's not 150 50 Facebook friends. So it's created this illusion that we're connected, productive, happy, yet a lot of people even put up a PR image of themselves online and it doesn't reflect what they're actually experiencing, feeling in their actual lives.
0: Now, that's that's a pretty big thing because people
1: do feel like they are connected. Isn't that good enough? It's not good enough. We all have certain needs, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. After safety and security, food and shelter, we need love and friendships. And it's hard to have a real strong bond with someone if you're just texting and emailing and tweeting. You do need to talk to them on the phone and, and meet them in person to establish real strong connections. I mean, we met several years ago, but before that, we had a digital relationship. And, you know, that's why we know each other more and you can get a sense of someone's body language and most languages nonverbal. And if you're just, you know, using people as a pen pal through text and chat, then you're missing out on the real human nature and connection that you get in person or over the phone, yet the workplace now is so dispersed. You know, a third of the global workforce works remote, at least sometimes, yet two-thirds are disengaged and lonely and isolated because while you might get the freedom and flexibility to work when, where, and how you want, that also comes with isolation and not getting the human contact you need to survive. So there's certain things that are consistent in everyone's life, especially in America, you're born, you die, you pay taxes, the 24 hours in a day and you need relationships. There was a great article in the New York Times that summarizes with the headline happiness is other people. It's having other people in your life. When you look back when you're 80, 90, 100, you're not thinking about making more money or, you know, all the business opportunities you should have created. It's more about the people who are still with you, who remember you, who visit you, who call you. And I think we need to get back to human and, and really start to prioritize relationships because work is the work you do and who you do it with. It's less about what company you work for, uh, what city you work in, what department you're in. It really is about doing the work that plays your strengths and you find meaning and purpose in, and then doing it with people who are s- supportive, create a safe environment are there for you and allow you to be your full self in the workplace. You know, people don't want to be, you know, professional john and personal john right because the workday is you know very spread out now the average work week is 47 hours a week not having your phone is a new vacation we're responding to email after work hours and because of that the importance of having work friends has never been greater yet in a new study we did for the book with virgin pulse of two thousand managers from employees in 10 countries we found that seven uh, percent of the global workforce has zero friends at work and half have five or fewer. So if we're spending so much time at work, yet we don't have relationships and friendships at work, that's broken, that's a problem, and it affects our entire lives, not just work.
0: I know that one of the things that we love to do in the modern world is reduce everything down to productivity, right? So a lot of the reason that we have people working from different places and a lot of the reason that we have them, you know, on, on maybe weird hours if they, you know, there's somebody who has a job that might be rescheduled from week to week and they may have variable hours and so on and so forth, is so that the businesses can be productive and efficient. And it sounds like you're saying there's a second side to that, which is not just that the business has to be productive and efficient, but you want the people to be happy and to have friends at work and to have connection. Um, at the risk of taking a point of view that I very rarely take. But why should I as a business person care about that? Isn't it enough that I have a productive workforce that's busting their butt to put dollars on our bottom line?
1: Yeah, I studied burnout with Kronos. We did a whole study on this about a year ago. And we found that if people are working longer hours than ever before and not getting additional compensation. So they're getting burned out. And- Because of that, that lends up to half of all turnovers due to burnout. So while we think we're being more productive, if we're burning out because we're working all these hours and are so drained and not unable to recover and, you know, over 70% of the global workforce doesn't have time for personal related activities, we found. And so because of that, you're getting burned out and it becomes counterproductive. So again, the technology makes us feel like we're so productive, we're getting a lot done. We think we're multitasking when that doesn't even exist. Your brain is just switching from one task to the, to the next somewhat quickly. Um, so it, it's becoming harder to focus because there's so many distractions, digital distractions like alerts, like, you know, the beeping noise, the, um, the email, the text message that comes in. We have to look at and prioritize over the work we're doing right in front of us. And so there's so many distractions, plus work is extended because of technology. You're always kind of working now, and because of that, there's no time to rest and relax, yet we need those breaks in order to recover, to be even more productive when we get back. You know, after, after working fo- and focusing on that work for about 45 minutes, you're supposed to take about a 15-minute break and then go back to work and then take a break. And uh, if we're constantly working, we're constantly being distracted, we're not really getting, as uh, you know, things done. And we're taking up so much of our time work doing work that we're actually el- eliminating the time that we need to spend with our friends, family, spouses, children, et cetera.
0: So you just mentioned two things. You mentioned that, that once an hour we should take a break. And you also mentioned that we really need to have time that specifically with family and friends, it sounds like, outside of work. I know that one of the things you discuss in the book is – Kind of the ideal schedule or the fact that people need to schedule different kinds of things at different rates and frequencies. Could you tell us something about that? How should we schedule our lives as opposed to just always being on and always having our device gripped in a desk grip in our right hand? I
1: think we're in a world now where there's no such thing as work life balance and balance means that there's a trade off. And while there might be trade offs, I think the way you should look at your schedule is work life integration. So think about the three to five things you need to do on a daily basis and construct a calendar to reflect that. So if, if we believe that, you know, we live and die by our calendars, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist, then we have to construct our calendar so that it has personal related activities and tasks that uh, enable us to have lunch with a friend or coffee or the coworker or, you know, uh, sports outside of work, whether it's within your team in the workplace or whether it's with some of your friends, it's, It's constructing the day so it reflects what is most important to you as well as the company and the people you're around. So you want to make sure that you're getting the work done and you're able to prioritize work. And that's what we found in my last book, Promote Yourself, was the top three things managers look for when promoting, communication, teamwork skills, and the ability to prioritize work. And the reason why that's so important is because it's not like we're working fewer hours today than we did 30 years ago. So with all these tasks, with all these business priorities, we have to figure out what to do when and then, and then make sure those are prioritized on a daily basis, but also in, insert, inject some personal related activities so that every day is maximized and that we're able to maintain relationships, maintain our health and get the job done and not at the cost of getting the job done. And so I think that we have to be smarter about how we schedule things and how to use technology to eliminate the tasks we don't even want to do. And I think the technology is, is, is getting good enough that it is enabling us to do that. Like if you think about voice right now with Alexa and Siri, you can, instead of having to Google and, and invest a lot of time in figuring things out, you just say, you know, what's the weather? And boom, you get the weather, right? And I think it's the same thing with chatbots instead of going back and forth trying to schedule a meeting you now have chatbots that are looking at both calendars of both individuals and they know when both people are free so they're scheduling time so you don't have to do that but when you're actually in a meeting room when you're actually with the person be present not just physically but mentally and emotionally and spiritually like and that's what i'm seeing in new york city and in anywhere i've lived in boston as you know you I think you still live in Cambridge is you can be around so many people, but no one at the same time because everyone's looking at their devices. And while that it could, you know, serve as time away from other people or something to do when you're waiting to get off the subway or you're walking down the street at the same time, it cuts you off from the world around you. And I think we need to get back to human in the office and at home and realize that there, there's more to life than a text message and email, you know, an iPhone game. <laughs>
0: Well of course the funny part is that we're busy texting Sam when we're physically present with Chris the later we get together with Chris or sorry with uh, later we get together with Sam and while we're, we're while we're physically present with Sam we text Chris it's even the people we're with we're not with even though they're the same people we were texting to be with when we were busy not being it with the other person It gets
1: even crazier like think about this like people care more about likes and comments from people that they might not like or are friends with and more than the people they're actually with at that very moment. So like you could be on the beach and you're taking a picture of the beach instead of communicating with the people you're around and went to the beach with, just to look to see if there's likes and comments from people who you don't even know. Now, some of this I know
0: is deliberate social and psychological engineering on the part of the companies that create the sharing apps, that they actually are trying to do things that cause us to become addicted. What can we do about that? Tristan
1: Harris, he's a former Googler, He, I talked to him, you know, when I was researching for the book, he was on 60 Minutes and he admitted and came out in in the public saying that, yes, these devices are programmed with addiction in mind, right? It's like they work like a slot machine. So, you know, because it is their business model, the more you're using these devices and these apps the more money Apple and Google and all of these companies are making. So it's engineered, like you were saying. And I think that just having the awareness that that's actually happened and that that's why you are constantly using the devices is kind of the first step in doing something about it, right? Awareness is the first step in resolving an issue. It's the first step in the consumer uh, purchasing process. Like You need to have the awareness. And so I think that's part of what I've done with this book is it's given people awareness of How they're using and maybe misusing technology and then how to use it in the right way, right? I think if you're going to a meeting, texting someone as a reminder, Hey, you know, we're going to be in the, we're going to be in this conference room in three minutes. You should come makes perfect sense, right? Instead of maybe calling them or walking, you know, 10 feet to their desk. That might not make as much sense, but I think that if, if you're in a conference room or you're, handling a conflict, I don't think texting is going to be as effective. You know, if two of your coworkers are getting into an argument or there's a misunderstanding, I think it's much more effective to actually have a real personal uh, interaction and, and to talk with them one-on-one. And uh, one of the really interesting things we found in the book, the number one thing that gets in the way of human interaction at work is email. Yet a study in the Harvard Business Review found that one face-to-face interaction is more successful than 34 emails exchanged back and forth. So instead of going back and forth, hoping people understand you and know how to act on what you're trying to convey through email, why not just walk a few steps or use video conferencing or pick up the phone and let people know what you mean because it saves so much time. That makes a lot of sense. So where where else can we use technology and
0: have it be something that works for us instead of something that works against us. I know you have a whole list. You have a, an entire chapter, of course, near and dear to my heart, called Optimize Your Productivity, and you have a list about different places where technology does and doesn't make sense. Could you
1: share some more of those with us? Absolutely. Chapter two is Optimize Your Productivity, like you said, and I think there's many things you can do, like what I was saying before, an AI chatbot saves you time. Conference room booking systems can make it easy to find where to go when but obviously when you're there you want to be present scheduling things on people's calendars out of office auto respond responder, i think is useful because we all need breaks we need vacations and and you know americans at least are taking fewer vacations now you know unlike europeans so we we, we have a long way to go on that but i think that you know how i even use an out and out of office is if i on vacation and I don't take my computer with me. Like this past weekend, I was at a wedding. I didn't take my computer with me. And to me, that freed me up and I could like be with people because I knew I couldn't do the the work that I would need to do if I had to respond to emails and whatnot. So I think that's important. I think collaborative applications like Slack can be useful as a water cooler so that people can quickly generate ideas, flush them out. Uh, But I think in terms of deciding on what idea to go with, and making those final type decisions, you know, a conference call, a, you know, all hands meeting can be very effective for actually initiating uh, on those ideas. But I think that, yeah, like, what I did with the book with uh, interviewing a 100 young leaders at a 100 top companies, we had a Facebook group, and everyone got connected, like you could do in the workplace, connecting everyone through Facebook or Slack or some other technology medium. And, but then, using that technology medium to schedule meetings. Like I had meetups all across the country. I brought them into conferences where I moderated panels with two, three, or four of them at a time. So like using the technology as a bridge to human interaction, not a barrier, using it for the right purposes, like as a water cooler, as a a way to eliminate tasks you don't want to do, scheduling to make sure people are on the same page with the same information, I have a chapter that kind of relates to this one on shared learning, which is the next chapter, practice shared learning. And I think, you know, freely sharing information, white papers, articles, online courses with your team and, and people who you know that could benefit from it is, is so important for keeping up to date with what's going on in the world, in your industry, and in your department, um, uh, in your profession, to-do lists and shared to-do lists, I think are, are really vital. Like Get everyone on the same page. Create a level of transparency so people know who's working on what, when. Because then with that level of transparency, then people know who they can help out with what at what given time. And I think that's so powerful because a lot of times we work in silos, you know, even if you're in a small team. And in order to let people know what you're doing, I think sharing what you're doing on a regular basis and making sure that they're aware can be very helpful for you and them. Because it's a team effort. We're all in teams now. It's only going to be more important in the future, especially with remote teams, that everyone's on the same page. And there's a level of connection and thoughtfulness that enables us to be more human and on top of what we're doing so we can work together and accomplish our goals. I think even having shared goals in a document and having everyone prescribed to those to those goals is really important so that when you're working, you always have those goals in mind. So you're all heading to the same direction together.
0: Sure. Now, that makes sense. And what I'm hearing, I'm hearing, really, you seem to be talking about two kinds of things, some of which are amenable to technology and some aren't. Uh, What I'm hearing is that when you have informational things, like letters, articles, things you want to share, schedule information, that that's a great use of technology to be able to get stuff back and forth to each other, to be able to have a shared understanding of something. But when it comes to the relational aspects, things like the conflict resolution, things like actually being committed to what each other is doing, that for the relational things, that's when the technology becomes more of a hindrance than help. Am I hearing that right?
1: Yeah, and that's really what the theme of the book is. It's how, when, where to use technology. Because while I hit technology hard in the book to make bigger points, I I view it as a a good use of your time in certain situations, and subtracting and and getting in the way of your productivity, health, and, and functioning overall, uh, in other instances. So it's it's really about teaching people the right way to use it, and in what's in what situations. So the, this whole book is really aimed at people in the workplace. So I know that we've been talking
0: a lot about just sort of the human element in general, but you very much contextualize it into relationships at work, at into hiring, into how to lead people, how to build a larger organization. Would you like to say a little bit of that to help the people who are listening really connect the idea that this makes a difference in an organizational context and not just us as individual people?
1: The core focus is for leaders in the workplace. The second Area of focus and who would benefit from it is any employee in the workplace who is working in a team and have and wanting to establish a better relationship with their leader slash boss. And then, just overall, I think what the book does is gives you a roadmap and some tips and advice on how to just live a better life overall. Because if you can optim if you can get work right, it Im- improves your entire life. Work impacts life, life impacts work, and here here is how I think about it. If you have a bad day at work, someone steals credit for something you're working on, you have a quarrel with a a manager, you're bringing that home with you and you're going to complain about that manager or that coworker to your spouse, your family, your friends, and that's going to hurt those relationships. Now, if you get into a fight with your husband or wife or your kid just got in trouble and is in the principal's office, that's coming into work. People want to bring their full self into the workplace and it's going to happen. And so you have to be empathetic and supportive of their individual needs and understand what they're going through as a leader or just a teammate. And then at the same time, I think if you improve workplace cultures like I'm trying to do, that's going to have an impact on someone's entire life, not just work. And to me, that is really powerful because we spend a third of our lives working at least and I don't see that declining. And so because of that, if we can at least get work right through this book and advice and research – that's going to really have a huge impact on people's emotional well-being. Wow. So it sounds like you are actually addressing,
0: as opposed to saying human beings exist solely so that businesses can do better, you're actually saying we should be improving the way that we run our businesses so that our lives are better, almost as if we invented business to make our lives better rather than the other way around. That's such a novel approach.
1: Well, here's the thing. If we're happier and healthier in the workplace, if we... You know, there's four employee engagement factors in the book, belonging, trust, belonging, trust, purpose, and happiness. If we get all those down, uh, you know, as a leader trying to create a good workplace environment, people are going to be happier, healthier, more productive, and it's going to help the company, and it's going to make them make the employee want to stay at the company longer, which saves costs. Right. So hopefully, if we do this right, everyone wins. That's the goal. But, you know, nothing's perfect. So I think that even if somebody can improve the way they, you know, their productivity in the workplace, I think that'd be helpful. Or, you know, if you have a leader who's trying to just improve the overall employee experience so they, that, uh, you know, they're, they're hiring the right people. They have created a space that's flexible, that caters to people's individual needs, you know, that people are supported through compensation and employee benefits and given a level of flexibility that people are desiring right now. I think that's important. There's there's a lot of factors that need to be considered, but if we can at least focus on one at a time, I think those small differences add up to big accomplishments and employees will be much happier, which is just going to, people are going to be excited to go to work. And I think that's the most important thing because if you're excited to go to work, you'll stay at the company longer. You'll just work harder you know people aren't going to be thinking about taking their work home with them or working on weekends because they'll just want to do it and if people practice work life integration they'll be able to ensure that they're catering to the company and improving profitability but not at the cost of their life that makes a lot of sense so any final words if you want to tell people if you do
0: nothing else about becoming back to human do the following thing like right now as you're listening to I'd this say the
1: simplest thing you can do is to be present in your next meeting, small steps before big leaps. So one of the things that leaders did who I interviewed for the book is that during a meeting, everyone puts their devices in the middle of the table. So the technology gets you to the meeting through chatbots, through scheduling, through conference room booking software. But when you're in the meeting, be present and have shorter meetings. The problem is all these meetings take forever because no one's paying attention. No one's actually present. Everyone's texting and looking at their phones and to email. And so, yes, I think the best thing you can do is to take it one meeting at a time and then notice the difference. And when, if you're a leader and you show that behavior and set that precedent, then people will follow, people will understand that it's important to be present. Meetings will be shorter and that, that to me is a reward in itself. I'll say,
0: meetings, I just love meetings. And how can people find you and where can they get the book?
1: You can get the book at any Barnes & Noble, Walmart, all the bookstores, online at Amazon. And you can learn more about me on d a n s c h a w b e l D-A-N-S-C-H-A-W-B-E-L.com, and listen to the new podcast, Five Questions with Dan Schabell. Excellent. Thank you very much for joining us. It's been great. Thanks a lot, Dan.